podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Taj Malik was a refugee in Pakistan. His family fled Afghanistan due to the wars, and he spent a lot of his time in Pakistan. And there he fell in love with cricket. Eventually, Taj Malik would move back, and he would take something with him on his long walk across the border. And it wasn't just Taj Malik, although he certainly was the father of Afghanistan cricket. Many Afghanistanis who were Pakistani refugees came across the border, many of them crossing the Hindu Kush mountains to go back home with something that the country had never had before, cricket. It's quite romantic to think about so many of these people walking back from Pakistan to Afghanistan, bringing something that they love with them from another country, a country that never truly embraced them, and then so many of them dedicating their life to it. It's not that Afghanistanis are unathletic or that they are anti-sport. It's just that it is hard to play sport in wartime. It is hard to play sport when your country is so constantly in conflict. And yet, so many Afghanistanis brought cricket over. The east part of the country was very interested in cricket. And for cricket, this was perhaps one of the greatest gifts it has ever had. A nation that had been in perpetual war, conflict, turmoil that had never played another sport, suddenly out of nowhere was magnificent at cricket. In the top 12 teams in the world very early on, they absolutely blitzed at the associate level. They had the ability to beat the top teams. They had fast bowlers, all the things that associate teams had never really had before. And just at the point when sometimes teams regress, Rashid Khan turns up, one of the best white ball players in the world, a force of nature in and of himself. The romanticism of Afghanistan cricket completely swept cricket up. And now we're in a place where we don't know where that's going to go. We know that Rashid Khan will probably continue to play T20 tournaments around the world, but we don't know if the Afghanistan cricket team will. This episode of Double Century is completely different. I haven't written it down. This isn't narrated like the other episodes. This is completely from my head. I'm no different than many other people in cricket in that I've loved Afghanistan cricket from the moment I knew it was involved. The team once gave me a shirt. I was at their first World Cup game. I know a lot of their players and they're my favorite team to cover. And this series is obviously about the first time that teams beat England and Afghanistan have never beaten England. But I'm gonna talk about the time that they should have and also talk a little bit about what might happen if they never get a chance to. I think we need to start by talking about the Taliban because the Taliban is perhaps the most misunderstood cricket government that you could find. For a very long time, you would hear that the Taliban supported cricket. And certainly, in certain ways they did. They thought it was a conservative game because of the way that the players dressed. They liked the fact that Pakistan played it. There were certainly parts of cricket that the Taliban supported. But to say that the Taliban was a pro-cricket organization is stretching the truth. The Taliban is lots of different mini organizations, if nothing else. They don't all agree with each other to begin with. And there were certainly people within the Taliban who were dreadfully opposed to cricket. A few years ago, I wrote a story about Muhammad Achawal, who is known as Archie. Archie, like Taj Malik and many other Afghanistanis who love cricket, learnt the game in Pakistan. He, when he was a few weeks old, was carried one way across the Hindu Kush mountains. Over a decade later, he would come back walking across, but this time bringing the sport of cricket with him. As Afghanistan cricket got good, Archie dreamed of playing for Afghanistan. But unfortunately, he was involved in the war. 
Archie ended up being an interpreter for the US Army and Marines. I think he also worked for the Italian and German forces. In fact, he worked for a lot, partly because Archie was a sort of fearless person. He worked in the army the same way he played cricket with kind of all of his passion. And so most interpreters would be nowhere near the front line, whereas Archie was right there with the soldiers carrying a gun. And that went down very well, which is why the Marines liked having him around so much. But when Archie wasn't serving and he was back home and he was trying to play cricket games, the Taliban would go after the people who played cricket. They specifically sent messages saying that they did not want cricket games to be going on. The Taliban is not a pro-cricket organization. It has never been so. They just saw it as less of a threat than perhaps other sports. Archie never got the chance to play for Afghanistan. He thinks he was good enough, and he certainly played against a couple of players who went on to play for Afghanistan and believes he held his own, but he ended up having to go to America because a joint group between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban were trying to kill him. Archie just dreamed of being Shahid Afridi. And when I started talking to Afghanistani cricketers and Afghanistani journalists, I realized that kind of everyone in Afghanistan cricket dreamed of being Shahid Afridi. They were a largely Pashtu team, and Shahid Afridi was a Pashtu legend. They grew up watching him on Pakistani TV, listening to his exploits on radio, following him when they got the internet. And if you look at the Afghanistan team, there is certainly something about that. There's a lot of wrist spinners. There's a lot of fast wrist spinners. There's a lot of big hits. They all like to hit the ball as hard as they can. They're an incredibly naturally aggressive team, but with a lot of thinking involved too, the sort of cunning and skill and exuberance. I wrote a piece once about how they were a team of Shahid Afridis and someone from inside the camp said that was one of the nicest things anyone had ever said about them. In fact, I probably started that piece around the time that I was on the way to see Afghanistan, England play in the 2016 World T20. I think I was staying up north, maybe Mahali, and I had to get a train down to Delhi for the game, which meant that I had to travel all day by train, get to the ground and do my work. And for any other team, I probably would have been quite upset, but for Afghanistan, it was kind of perfect. I was rocking up to the ground in time to see them play. And then they were absolutely magnificent. They destroyed England early on. Let me just run you through the card. England were 16 for one, 42 for two. And at that stage, they were going okay. Then they were 42 for three. Then they were 42 for four. Then they were 50 for five. 57 for 6, and eventually 85 for 7 after 14.3 overs. Rashid Khan was pretty much unplayable. Muhammad Nabi actually had even better figures. Samuel Ashinwari was brilliant as well. Their spinners were completely on top. And it was around this time that their captain, Muhammad Shahzad, went a little bit defensive, which if you know Muhammad Shahzad is not something that he ever really seemed to do with the bat. Mohamed Shazad was such a good cricketer, he actually was the only Afghanistani player who probably had a shot of playing for Pakistan. He may not have quite have been on that level, but he was certainly an incredible talent. And had he been in a normal cricket culture, he might have actually had a chance of being a top-level player. But on this occasion, he just went a bit defensive, which is not something you do against an England team. This was 2016, though. This was early in their run, and perhaps teams didn't really understand them. But England batted down to number 11. Their number 11 that day was either going to be Adil Rashid or Liam Plunkett, which meant that they could keep going. So they blocked out a few balls as Moen Ali and David Willey got their eye in, and then towards the end, they slogged the ball around. And with the help of a few extras, they got the score to 142 for seven. I remember being asked by an English journalist at the time, he said, that's quite low. Do you think Afghanistan can make this? And my response was, I just didn't think they would be able to handle the fast bowling of Liam Plunkett. 
Liam Plunkett didn't take a wicket in that chase, but he bowled four overs for 12. He was the only England bowler not to take a wicket. Willie took two, Jordan took one, Melvin Ali took one, Adol Rashid took two, and Ben Stokes took two. But essentially, Afghanistan never got close. They lost early wickets, they got behind the rate, and it wasn't until Shafiqallah Shafiq came in that they got anyone to score over 30. But by then, it was, sadly, a little bit too late. This was their chance to beat England. They completely bossed the first half of the game. They lost their way for about four or five overs, allowing England to get completely on top. England then brought out the fast bowlers. And at that stage, even though Afghanistan had fast bowlers, they weren't particularly good at facing them themselves. It's incredible, though, to think that they lost the game by not attacking enough, because that is not something that we could say about Afghanistan cricket a lot. And I remember being so disappointed. I wrote one of my worst pieces ever after that because for so much of that game, I was convinced they were going to win. I couldn't believe my luck that I was going to be able to see Afghanistan beat England for the first time. And you think about that, Afghanistan beating England in cricket. What a remarkable thing that would have been. And when it didn't happen, it completely affected how I wrote the piece. And that long trip to Delhi suddenly felt really tiring and I didn't do what I wanted to do because I was frustrated with them. And so I couldn't write the piece I wanted to write. And it's a bit like this podcast. This is not the podcast I want to make. I wanted to make the podcast about Afghanistan beating England, but they haven't. I was just so disappointed at the time. But now, I don't even know if they'll play England again in the short term. I'm assuming one day they will continue to play. But I don't know. I know this much. Cricket has lost nations before. Kenya made the semi-final of the 2003 World Cup. Kenya cricket is stuck in a rut. They are probably not in the best 15 or 16 teams in the world. They're going nowhere, despite the fact that there are still talented cricketers in Kenya. The USA was obviously a very talented team at times. Up until 1905, they still had one of the best bowlers in the world, Barton King. USA cricket now is still miles behind where it should be. Ireland is another team that is the same sort of thing happened. A very strong cricket culture was sort of squashed. With the USA and Ireland, it probably had more to do with politics at the time and what was seen as English and what was seen as not English. But either way, two very strong teams disappeared. And Argentina. I think you can make a fairly good claim that Argentina was as strong as New Zealand or very close to as strong as New Zealand at the time that New Zealand got test status. Argentina drew two series with the MCC in that period. And we don't talk about Argentinian cricket anymore. Hopefully, they're about to have a renaissance through their women's team. But the point is, we have lost teams before. And I think all of those cases are sad. But Afghanistan would be worse, I think. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. And now we have Australia pulling out of a test because the Taliban has said that there will be no women's cricket in Afghanistan. This is quite a weird thing because Cricket Australia were more than happy for Afghanistan not to have a women's team before, as was the ICC in general. I've talked about this a lot. We just accepted the Afghanistan men's team and we didn't push them hard enough to have a women's team. There should never have been an exception for the Afghan men's team. This is a sport for everyone. And Afghanistani women deserve to be involved in cricket as much as their men do. But the Taliban is a more public-facing threat than just what was happening before. The Taliban is just harder to ignore. Before that, it was US run. And to be fair, many people within Afghanistan cricket understood that they needed a women's team, even if they were very slow moving and just starting to get things into place. The Taliban have, at least in the short term, completely shut the door on that. It's hypocritical from cricket, but they are maybe perhaps finally making the correct move. 
I know it is hard to punish the players who have absolutely no say over this, but you can make that same argument for apartheid. Many South African cricketers were punished for what their government did, even when some white cricketers were prepared to have black players play for South Africa, and even when they had a moment where they walked off the field in protest of the apartheid movement. We know it's not fair on the Afghan male players, but we also know that it has been unfair on the Afghanistani women players for longer. But, you know, I talked about Taj Malik and Archie walking across the border and bringing cricket back with them. But I just want to explain some of the things that happened when cricket was actually back in Afghanistan. Archie himself would stage cricket games, often for kids, but sometimes for, you know, younger adults like himself. And he and his family were very much living in a war zone. But Archie still wanted to play cricket and he wanted the local kids to be able to play cricket. And so he would go out on the ground and make sure that the ground was okay. And the way that he would go out on the ground and make sure the ground was okay was he would check for IEDs, bombs, essentially. Not just that, occasionally rockets would fly over the top as well. Al-Qaeda couldn't aim them very well, so they never hit the ground. But the idea wasn't really to kill anyone, it was to scare them and stop them playing cricket. I suppose I bring up that story to prove that Afghanistan cricket has already survived worse than a potential ICC ban here. The fact that it grew under the Taliban and eventually got strong during a war tells you kind of everything about the people who love cricket in Afghanistan and what they were willing to play through. I don't really know what the future of Afghanistani cricket is. It's a question I get asked quite a lot, and I wish I had a better answer. I don't know what the ICC do. I don't know what will happen under the Taliban. I don't know what will happen with the women's cricketers. I don't know even what will happen with the franchise cricketers. If they're not seen for international duty, will they still get picked up as much, or will some of them just be harder to find? It will be harder for them to get visas. All these sorts of things are possible. Will there be an exodus where a lot of Afghanistani cricketers just move to other countries to play professionally for them? I don't know. But one thing I do know is it will be sad for cricket if Afghanistan never beat England, if they never get a chance to play them again, if they never come back to our game, because they gave us something and we all enjoyed it and we all are a part of their story. I think Afghanistan playing cricket is one of the greatest things that's ever happened to our game. And I'm glad that cricket existed for those Afghanistanis to play it. And I just hope that they get to continue to play it. But not just the men, the women as well. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. The link is in the show notes if you'd like to support us into the future. This episode was not written. It was just off the top of my head. There was no fact-checking. It's just something that I wanted to say about a cricket nation that I love. Thank you so much for listening. But if you do like this show, one of the best ways that you can help support us is just simply by sharing it on social media or rating and reviewing it in your favorite podcast apps.
Social Podcast Network.